0: So the reason that I say Donald Trump is a formidable politician is because he is a formidable politician. He's very good with the crowd. He's very charismatic with the crowd. People who like him really like him.
1: As far as empathy goes, I remember here there was a, uh, I think, a sociology presentation. Somebody had written a book about going to the South and empathizing with Trump supporters, which echoes to me a lot of the things you are saying about... Uh, truly forming a, a genuine understanding of the problem. I want to know your view on on this kind of empathy because th- at this presentation you might expect she got a lot of uh, flack and a lot oh, yeah of, uh, yeah a lot of uh, what I viewed as to some extent misunderstanding about maybe the yeah. concept of empathy I agree
0: I agree totally yeah the concept of, I think that's important because I think people some of the difference between empathy and sympathy maybe, or... So I think empathy (laughs) is just trying to understand where other people are coming from. And that, to me, seems self-evidently necessary and good. Um, And I think you should empathize with everybody. And you go, wait, but even with Nazis, and you go, yes, even in, in terms of trying to understand where they're coming from, right? But then the careful distinction here is That doesn't mean that I sympathize with it or think it's right or it's – I mean, I can still think it's horrible. And so the point is you can't let your empathy mean that you sacrifice your values or that you uh, justify. Empathy is not justification. And one of the things is that the left is always – the funny thing is that the left is always trying to make this point when it comes to um, uh, Islamic terrorists and people on death row. We're always going, no, no, no. Trying to understand what causes terrorism is not the same as justifying it. And we're always trying to make that, that distinction there. But it's like when when it's Trump supporters, the idea is that empathizing somehow involves legitimizing. And I, yeah, I'm open to the possibility that it's not the best possible way to the most... Uh, effective use of your time. I think. Uh, I, I think the sociologist. This is Arlie Hochschild. Uh, the Strangers in Their Own Land book. Or because um, she, she, she's one who. Yeah.
1: Yeah. She was speaking here at uh, at BU. So.
0: Yeah, because she did this big book on, on Trump supporters or, or or people in Louisiana, and 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 the whole point there is you know for, for a sociologist going there, I think there's obvious value because it's something that. Isn't explored in sociology, and sociology has a big deficit in terms of understanding. Uh, you know, sociology is always studying poor people in the inner city, right? So we have tons and tons of writing on poor people in the inner cities. We don't have very much writing on rural white people, so that's actually just academically important in terms of of, of politics. Whether it's important to discuss, I do actually get I sympathize with the perspective that, like. So, how much time do we need to spend understanding the Trump supporter? I, I do get frustrated with this genre of article that is like, "What do Trump supporters think about this?" Because, like, I don't care what they think. <laughs> I mean, I am I am empathetic towards all people who suffer, but but I also don't think that your job is to spend your time appeasing uh, a particular segment of the population who yeah, is wrong
1: about everything. You mean in the sense of of i imagine there there the genre you're talking about is the only thrust or the motivation is simply uh we need to empathize more and not necessarily yeah, not almost as if I don't know if you think that sometimes that argument can just substitute a uh, substitute basically a suggestion that maybe maybe this isn't as bad,
0: yeah i. I do think there is a point that is made by uh, uh, liberal uh, people who, who react to and dislike the empathize with the Trump supporters thing. But I think it's a genuinely important point, which is, yeah, okay, empathize with the Trump supporters is whatever, but at the same time, the empathy gap in America uh, in terms of the people who are not uh, treated as human and do not have their perspectives understood uh, that's not Trump supporters. They're fine. Um, <laughs> or comparatively, right? It, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's, Muslims and it's black people and it's, uh, undocumented people. And, 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 come on, let's tell some of their stories. Um, because that's the real hard work that needs to be done. They're the people who are the marginalized and excluded. I mean, take the people in America's prisons. My God. Um, you know, they are, are hated and despised. Um, So, like, yeah, you can go to little towns in Ohio and talk about how the factory closed down, Um, but you just make sure that you are, that at the same time, you're not allowing those people, because they tipped one election over the edge, to be, like, the story of the country, because they aren't the story of the country.
1: A lot of the times, the frustration of a lack of empathy, I suppose, for Trump voters would be you probably only feel that or uh, need to bring that up in more uh leftist uh, echo chamber type places. I mean to what extent do you need to dis- 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 dissemble the I-, I think you you might know what I mean if I say that um, in some more liberal areas there's this like uh, faker like falser kind of empathy that is like true liberalism I suppose is a- is about empathy but then there is this like super more superficial version uh, that that comes to the surface, maybe, among them.
0: So one the very disturbing thing that you saw after the election is, you know, this kind of, um, like, whenever there'd be a thing going on, like, yeah, people, uh, people uh, in West Virginia have voted for Trump, now they're going to lose their health insurance. And there were some people who were uh, liberal um, who would go, well, good, <laughs> you know, good. That's what they get. They shouldn't. Have, they should have thought twice before voting for this for this awful human being if they didn't want to die. And you know, okay, well, I get that impulse because you're angry and you realise that they caused something that's very horrible. But the whole point—you have to be consistent in your values. And the whole point to me of being on the left is like. I don't want to just get all preachy, but it's kind of a Christian thing about, like— I mean, I'm not a Christian personally, but it's like it's like you're supposed to follow the lessons of Jesus about loving and forgiving people despite their flaws. Um, so if you have contempt for um, uh, poor white Republicans, uh, I feel as if that is inconsistent with at least what my value is, which is that you love? You're supposed to love the sinner, or, or whatever it is. You know, you you, you hate the hate the sinner, love the sinner, or whatever. And you, you're supposed to try and understand people because that's what we're do. That's as I say, that's what we do with criminals. Uh, we go, look, they did something that hurt people. but it doesn't mean that they're not human. It doesn't mean that they sacri- that you can now have contempt for people. They've had hard lives. Um, I I'm very sympathetic to people, even people who. Um, I like, it. and it's easy. Obviously, it's easier for me because I'm a white man. Like, the, the 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 bigotry doesn't personally affect me. So you go, well, it's very easy for you uh, to empathize with someone who's a bigot because you don't have to be victimized by it, which is true. Um, at the same time, though, I think like. Yeah, everyone's th- aspiration has to be like to 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 not bear resentment and contempt for for other people.
1: Right? Do you think that that in your position, if if you, uh, you know, view it just because it's easier for you doesn't mean you shouldn't, you know, necessarily do it if you know to if you you know have the time yeah. or room to do it.
0: Yeah. Well, here's here's an example. Here's, a, here's a, a parallel example. Right? Um, it's easy for me to oppose the death penalty, because nobody I know has ever been brutally murdered. And it would be a lot harder for me to oppose the death penalty if, say, uh, my child or my uh, parent had been brutally and horribly murdered, and I might feel that instinct for vengeance. Um, But the fact that it's easier for me doesn't really mean that it's right for uh, you know just because just because someone is in a position where like they are their viewpoint is obviously far more understandable given their circumstances um, I like I totally understand um, uh, I, I, I totally understand where people people of color are coming from where they say you know now you know the America is a doomed to a white supremacist country and and You go, well, I kind of get why you think that. I don't, I want to be more optimistic than that. Uh, It's like, I always think this way about Tana Heffy Coates, right? Tana Heffy Coates' writing has a very pessimistic vision, view of America. He really thinks uh, this country, after the election of Donald Trump, is hopeless. Um, I don't think that, but I totally understand why he thinks that.
1: Talking about current affairs and at least, like, putting this sympathy, applying this empathy, sympathy, to your writing, I definitely sense an undercurrent um, of sympathy. At the same time, I sense a uh, there's definitely you couldn't say about current affairs that there's no sense of justice either. Uh, oh yeah, th- th- it's f- all righteous
0: indignation. <laughs> right,
1: right. Th- they're firmly uh, you know taking down either a fi- figures or um, or conceptions of figures, at least, or uh, conceptions of uh, you have a uh, the death to the economist. Um, <laughs> Sticker, uh, you know, uh, conception—just these popular ideas that you are you think fundamentally wrong or flawed. Well, yeah,
0: yeah. I, I I hesitate to say that because it sounds so, so self-righteous, right? You know, it is about principle. I'm the I'm the only principle but I say, Yeah, I I don't think that at all. I think we're all motivated by our our, our biases, and it's hard it's hard to say that you stand on principle. I do think that I try and think about uh, and this is all because i have grew up reading noam chomsky who formed my political conceptions and the, and the one major thing that that the ongoing theme of noam chomsky's writing is a consistent outrage at uh cruelty by human beings towards other human beings um and 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 have, holding that as your first principle is that i don't like it when people hurt other people and I, and that's where I begin. Uh, that's my starting point for analyzing everything. And so that kind of explains a lot of um, why we do what we do. So I, we just had a very long thing about Joe Arpaio, because I think Joe Arpaio is a cruel and, and, and monstrous human being. Um, but also, to a lesser extent, I think Bill Clinton is kind of a bad person, because I think he did things that hurt people. Um and it also means that the kind of political issues I'm interested in talking about are going to be the kinds that affect people the most. That doesn't mean let's talk about economics instead of racism. It means let's talk about both economics and racism in ways that emphasize the part of those things that hurt people the most.
1: Exactly. So yeah, yeah. There's a, yeah. Even, You even have the article, um, let's keep focused on things that affect people. Mm-hmm. Do, do you feel that media strays from that?
0: Yeah, of course, cause, I mean, one of the big pieces of news in the Trump administration has been the fact that um, in um, uh, Syria and Afghanistan, civilian casualties from drone strikes have massively increased since Trump took off. Okay, well, how much discussion does that get uh, compared to whatever Trump said about the football players this week?
1: Uh,
0: like, it's... It, 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 <laughs> And, and even the discussion about it, the, even the NFL discussion, which has been – Colin Kaepernick's protest was about uh, uh, police brutality, okay? And that's gotten completely lost. Now it's just a war between Trump and the NFL players over the flag and the anthem. Um, so it's even, like, staying focused on the things that matter means if we're going to talk about Colin Kaepernick's protest, we're going to talk about the issue that he is protesting because of. Um, and not get into the drama of Trump versus, like, yeah. who Trump disinvited from the White
1: House, right? Or, or, or even the the Amber, uh, the Amber Lee Ross article, where she is talking about how to write about Nazis, is taking uh, to some extent. I guess this, there's this. I don't know con- if if it's a conflict exactly for you, but uh, material for current affairs revolving around what affects people necessarily involves. Uh, the mainstream media what we the conceptions that it creates i think that the amber lee ross's article is a uh, a good example of taking that still still holding true to that angle of of what is what is really affecting people as far as concept like conceptions mm-hmm. of uh what's going on in the world um and how yeah. people are acting acting based on those and uh there's that's what I, i'm sensing a kind of undercurrent like I was mentioning through all current affairs, and I, and I think your quote about um, Chomsky, what Chomsky first and foremost caring about, uh, uh you know, or being outraged by cruelty um, toward people. Current affairs describes itself as a anarchist, or the or you know, yeah. there's the quote that says the the only uh, anarchist uh, publication. Um, contemporary publication worth reading. What was the when you were when you were thinking of uh, Current Affairs as a as a concept? How did it kind of come to you? Kind of, I mean, and in the larger context of your writing experiences, these these kind of whatever led up to this essentially uh, anar- anarchist is a good word or a rogue. Um, yeah, the, the only path you follow is essentially that that main path of. Looking out for who or what is is being wrong.
0: Yeah. So so yeah. The reason the reason that I like uh, uh, the word anarchist and that I like anarchists historically is um, okay. So anarchism doesn't have a fantastic track record. I, I could see. Um, but one of the things is that if you look throughout history, the anarchists are always the ones who are willing to. Criticize everything if it uh, runs contrary to their principles and, and, and that 's true on the left like, here 's what I love about the anarchists the anarchists, if in the Russian Revolution or in any revolution in uh, the Spanish uh, uh, civil war, the anarchists are always the ones who are critical of people on the left who replicate the tyranny they see on the right so the story of the Soviet Union is the story of people and the story of the French Revolution is the story of revolutionaries becoming the very thing that they're trying to get rid of, right? Which is um, uh, you, 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 you want to destroy unjust tyranny, but then you take power and you become the tyrant. Well, the 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 history of Marxism and communism is often like... Well, this is why our dictatorship is different from their dictatorship. And the anarchists are always the ones who say, no, all dictatorship is bad no matter what. Um, And the prince and what we want is an end to dictatorship. It's not that we want the dictatorship of the people instead of the dictatorship of the uh, uh, bourgeoisie. Um, It's an end to all tyranny. So I like... I like the anarchist philosophy because it suggests that you will be willing to criticize even the people on your side if they begin to become the thing you're fighting against because it's about the principle. Right. Um, it, and, and and to the extent that you're doing things that don't conform with that principle, uh, you're no longer uh, serving your, your values. How
1: do you think, as that relates to other publications, like you've criticized The New Yorker and The Economist, uh, do you think that they... You wouldn't call them, or you wouldn't characterize them obviously i guess as as anarchist in the same sense yeah no. in, in the sense of <laughs> yeah, characterize for me those those publications or what you and you you were kind of mentioning alluding to this earlier, but specifically with these publications what are they what are they failing to do? what are their constraints
0: yeah so there the, the two they're two different publications there the The economist, I think is it's very clear what motivates the economist, which is the economist has a very simple world view. And that worldview informs everything they publish. Um, the that view is uh, markets are good, um, and pretty much uh, that's it. That's <laughs> the beginning, right? That's the beginning, middle, and end of it, right? Uh, uh, Capitalism has been good to the world. Um, they are a business publication. Uh, they are not culture warriors. They they're not cultural conservatives. Um, they, uh, it's not clear where they would stand on something like abortion, because their main thing is that markets are good and regulation is bad. Socialism is bad. Look how horrible Venezuela is, and that kind of motivates a lot with me. I mean, I did an article about the Economist where I went through um, the way that this worldview informs uh, their reporting, um, and I, I think so. Uh, it, it, it's pretty easy to notice that now what that means is they have an ideological blindness when it comes to problems with markets. Um, And this is the kind of thing that I reject, is is having an ideology that means that you can't see... So they like markets because they think markets have brought everyone prosperity and uh, socialism destroys efficiency and hurts people. And it's certainly true that the, the Soviet Union hurt a lot of people. Um, but it means that because they believe that ideologically, they are unwilling to see the various ways in which um, uh, people are hurt under capitalism. When uh, you know they're mistreated by their bosses, um, uh, they have to do horrible, low wage work for, for twelve hours a day, right? they, and, and they're unwilling to kind of acknowledge that and have a solution for it. Now, the New York is kind of different. They're a culturally liberal magazine. Uh, they uh, they're, um, they're a magazine of elite tastemakers, and their view is they think the world. They, they think, it, 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 the New Yorkers' classification, the, the way I probably describe them is um, everything in moderation, right? Every single thing in moderation. Nothing yeah, too articles, radical is everything in Yeah, some in of New the
1: titles of your articles alone are, are essentially, and I, I'm sure this is a intended effect, uh, sh- uh, shocking. And like I was saying, paradoxical to, yeah. uh, you know, the, you know, there's the real Obama, which, you know, uh, you know, you don't know exactly what you're getting into. It probably makes people a little nervous. And then, the, but more importantly, the claims you go on to make, um, I believe, I don't know if you, you want to characterize it better. Obama's, uh, nestling, I think it was something nestling with the, the global elites or however you put yeah. it. Yeah. In you're saying that the New Yorker is constrained as far in terms of
0: yeah, so they they're afraid to make a strong claim. I think I think it's fair to say because I mean not there's not all kinds of strong claims, but I think they are not ideologically committed to free markets like the Economist is. But I think there is a sensibility that suggests that any kind of incredibly strong claim uh, is to be you, you have to be wary of. Um, and, and you see this in the way they talk about people like George W. Bush. Um, I'm not afraid to say that I think uh, George W. Bush is a mass murderer. And I think the facts of that are, are pretty straightforward, which is that George W. Bush launched a uh, war uh, for no good reason that killed 500,000 uh, Iraqi civilians. I think that makes you a mass murderer. Um, I, 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 I think it's a pretty open and shut case. And so... Uh, I don't say that lightly. I think you have to defend the claim, but I think the claim is defensible. But you would never see the, I mean, if someone writes that in a draft, the New Yorker editor is going to take that out, right? Uh, if, they did, if someone just casually mentioned mass murder or George W. Bush, right? And I, I, I did a thing, when I looked at that, the way they reviewed his paintings, well, you know, their view is, well, he, was, he made a lot of mistakes. He wasn't a good president, um, but he is a good painter, and he's a soulful and well-meaning guy. Right, <laughs> and I can't. Yeah,
1: it it feels like. Is there, as far as what you you said that the Current Affairs is, uh, you said I think unapologetically uh, ideological or aligned with, I guess if if we're talking yeah. lib- like a more left leaning liberal mm. publications, if you want to compare Current Affairs and the New Yorker, of course there's a way broader range of what you can say or how deep you can go as a liberal left leaning uh in le- left leaning ideology do, is your feeling that do you, do you think i'm getting to the point that uh magazines have a or publications yeah. have to to maintain some kind of cohesion or or brand and do, sure. basically do you think the New Yorkers yeah. is too constrained to to nothing. Well,
0: you know, it's so funny that you said you got me thinking here. I think it's really interesting that you you raised this because I I it made me start thinking, well, what are our constraints, right? What wouldn't we print? Um what what, what are the things that uh what are the boundaries outside which uh we can't stray? Because we actually have a pretty I say they have a pretty consistent line. We have a pretty consistent line. Um I think, so I'm pretty uncompromising, too. Uh, it's not, the, but it's not that free markets are great. It's that, like, you know, hurting people is bad, and, uh, like, we're not going to defend it. So, I, we're very rigid in our editorial line in a certain sense, because I would never publish anything that justified an atrocity, right? If, if, you, were, if you were defending... Uh, if you were defending torture, for example, you wouldn't. We, we would that. I don't care what your argument is. It might be a very good argument, but it's not going to right? work. me. Like, because there are enough defenses of torture in the world, like, to where we just like, if you defended like, if you say like uh, um, uh, a, a a woman's place is a, is a, a woman's job is to please her man, right? And you gave a long and very well written argument for this. Uh, it would not go in our magazine. <laughs>
1: um, uh, but still, there's like a, a feeling that um, I think the magazine is self-critical to some extent, and which is yeah. a, a quality that I think you you view as, you must view as important and one that you think is lacking in uh, yeah. most writing. that's the
0: thing. Well, this is what Glenn Greenwald says, right? Which is, you can't be objective, but you can be transparent. Which is, you can't you can't free yourself of your of your of your beliefs because they're your beliefs. Um, but what you can do is disclose those and try and check yourself all the time. You know, read things that you disagree with, incorporate those arguments. Um, it, you know, and so I, I would be willing to go back and say, well, this is this is something that I said that I, I don't think I I don't I, I, I think I was wrong here. Um, you know, I I should have handled that that Jason Wilson episode better actually, but yeah, you, know, you know, I have a lot of a lot of criticism myself on that. Um, so you know, I, I so I think that's the thing you could do, and that's one of the things that I think is not is not done as you say nearly enough, right? There's, I
1: mean, right, there, with yeah. the New Yorker at least. I don't know if Transparent is something. I mean, you know, there's definitely no feeling of. The voice of things in current affairs, as far as you know, when it comes to style and uh, even even of the artwork, but in the writing too, there is a sense of uh, a directness with the voice. Uh, reading, yeah. reading is uh, re- you know, reading an article is uh, with the New Yorker. It seems a vaguer experience.
0: You think it's a little vague. I, I get what you're saying. It's hard to pinpoint, but that is exactly how I feel. I feel like we we are a little more. I I don't know that we, i you say it's a little more direct. Um, It's very strange, because I couldn't actually, if you asked me what is it about this article in the New York Times, the New Yorker, that seems a little evasive, I don't know what it would be. But I was just thinking of an example of where I think uh, uh, self-criticism, like a a concrete example of a lack of self-criticism. So the New York Times op-ed page, right? Um, they just, uh, for until like two months ago, when they just added another female columnist, they had, uh, I think it's two uh, female, uh, they had 12 regular op-ed columnists, and 11 of the 12 were white, Charles uh, Blow is black, uh, and 10 of the 12 were, were men. Well, okay, so they're all liberals at the New York Times, right? They're all, the, the editors of the op-ed page are liberals. Now, I've never seen them defend that, defend the fact that New York, New York is a majority non-white city, okay? And so that's a, that's a shocking lack of representation of the city on your op-ed page. And yet, the, so the, the evasion to me and the lack of transparency is the fact that they, they won't defend it. Right. It's like it's one thing to defend it, but it's another thing to just like refuse to mention it or deal with it. So transparency means if you point something like that out to me, I will tell you why I'm doing it and we can have a discussion about
1: it. You know, nearing this this question of how, you know, current affairs was developed and this idea behind it. But I, I want to ask more, like in your mind, how did it uh, was this a gradual? Do you think this was the result of and I guess obviously it has to be to some extent uh your writing practice and philosophy, whatever that background is, uh, and to what extent? When did it, I guess, pop in your head or, or enter your yeah. mind to, to to launch to launch this?
0: So I was uh, I, I was in grad school and I hated it and um, I um, uh, hated it a lot and what I was doing was I don't know, I didn't actually I kind of I kind of well I was frustrated let's say that because I was frustrated with the limits of academic writing. And, and and I was doing two things, which is, one, I was in school doing academic writing that, nobody, that you know, that was very, uh, where all the pressure is to make things complicated and to speak to a very narrow audience. Uh, and then at the same time, I was doing op-ed writing uh, for a, a few different publications, and I was making uh, satirical children's books in my spare time. Um, and... I, all of these things were different parts of my life that never really came together, and I thought, well, what is it that unites all of these things? And uh, the, I tried to, and, and the magazine is, it was an effort to unite my various interests. So I'm interested in writing. I, it, it was like, what do I think? What do I want to do? And what do I think is necessary? And one thing I, I and so I like doing a few things. I like writing things that are very in depth, but are accessible to a popular audience like thinking in an academic way about issues, but then presenting them in a very clear way that people who are not academics can read. And then the children's book element is that I also think like an element of levity and fun is really important and it's not really nearly as present as it ought to be in um, uh, political writing.
1: Another one of the quotes uh, is, it's as if uh, Willy Wonka and Christopher Hitchens Came together to edit a uh... yeah.
0: So the really walk it part is 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 very important to that, and you see a lot more in our printed edition. Because our printed edition is full of artwork and cartoons.
1: I'm interested in your frustration with academic uh, writing as a, a, as mm. it pertains to what is the larger scope of writing in your life. I mean, is it? It seems like you have a. I mean, you, it's one thing to write academically and you st- stick into that. I don't think everybody escapes that. Uh, that path necessarily or that uh, I, I'm wondering yeah. what other sensibilities uh, contribute to uh, of course you said the things that were going on in your life but uh, m- maybe broader broader context uh, how long have you been writing and, and
0: yeah I was, uh, I've always I mean, I, I've always I can't remember when I started writing but I know that I've written for as long as I can remember um, uh, I ne- but I never really thought about actually doing writing professionally I never actually aspired to be a writer Uh, I just kind of woke up one day and realized that I was now making my living writing, and that was very odd to me, because I never even thought of doing that. Um, I I was going to be a lawyer. Um, I I am a lawyer, actually. (laughs) Uh, 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 But that was the plan. I went to law school and became a lawyer, uh, and uh, (laughs) so... And then, and then I realized I would be a terrible lawyer, and then I so I thought, oh, I'll be an academic, and then I went to grad school, and I went, oh, I'll be a terrible academic, too. Well, <laughs> you know, now what do I do?
1: Right, right. Who do you look up to, then, when it comes to writing? I mean, is there, like, are there primary uh, writers or, other, like, other, even other publications that in, inspire you?
0: So, okay, uh, well, let me tell you. Uh, so, so, we wouldn't, our magazine wouldn't exist if it weren't for Jacobin, because, like, they did everything we did uh, in terms of building a print publication from scratch uh, right. five years before we did it, and Basker was very helpful to me, Bafka Sincaro, who edited it, was, it was very it, it, helpful to me in um, giving me all sorts of advice as to what you do, and uh, so I was amazed at what they were able to do, and it was because they did that that uh, I thought it might be possible to do to do what we do. Um so, like, obviously there's a, there's a very obvious um, uh, influence. Uh, in, terms of, in terms of writers, I, it's, it's, it's a mishmash of things. I mean, you know, I mentioned Christopher Hitchens on the website. I hate, I hate his politics, but he's obviously a very good essay writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chomsky obviously inspires all my political beliefs. Um, and then it's just things that pick up here and there.
1: We were getting into uh, you know the the heavier, more cumbersome, in-depth topics you were talking about, but then there are a variety of articles. I mean, even uh, even mentioning going back to the uh, in defense of liking things, the real point of that article. I brought it up to to help show a f- kind of flaw in other writing, the New Yorker. Um, but the real point of that article, to on one hand, yes, to criticize The New Yorker, but on the other hand. There is this the, whatever the Willy Wonka sensibility is, the the simplicity, or the, yeah. there's the other article that's um, we should all just get along, or we should all just be nice, be kind to one each other. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know these, nice. these kind it's, of uh, yeah, you know next nice. to, <laughs> next to an article about you know how Obama is, yeah, uh, you, <laughs> <know, laughs> you know you know whatever, yeah. yeah, next to these like kind of uh, you know sensitive or intense or complicated analyses, there there's this counterbalance of of course there's uh, also to mention there's tons of Writing about art and and all these other things, that are not very, not so much related to politics, but uh, there is the, the the this like I keep using the word undercurrent, but if you want to expand on sure. this philosophy of just kindness,
0: yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So so there's the thing where like I'm constantly worried about being, because nobody likes a critic, like. Right? Critics are sourpusses. They're, they're just nasty people who go around just pointing out the problem with everything without ever actually being constructive. That's the, that's the reason nobody likes them. And I don't, I really don't want to be that person. I really don't want to be a curmudgeon. And I think it's so easy to become a curmudgeon. And I actually want a world full of joy and friendliness and happiness. And you know, my kind of leftism is trying to build a world that people actually like to live in. It's not just trying to tear down all of the awful um, power structures and what have you. It's trying to introduce good things in the world. And so I'm very conscious of that, and I'm constantly trying to... Um, Come back to the theme that we are an optimistic publication. Um, like, we, we're, I really don't want to be a "everything is going to hell in a handbasket" uh, uh, publication because I think hopelessness uh, gets you nowhere. And so we're constantly writing things about how you need just because everything is terrible, um, does, you can't be resigned. And you can't become just um, uh, bitter and cynical. And I think cynicism is very destructive. So we're not cynical. I mean, we're cynical in a certain sense, but we're not... Uh, I, like, I'm cynical about about uh, all about this, this Democratic Party politician. But I'm not generally a
1: cynical person. Right. And a lot of times there's a... We were talking about academic writing. I think, you know, it's, it's really to the point, you know, it's getting ideas across, but I, I, I find sometimes reading these things like a maybe unintended, grave, uh, you know, cold kind of quality. I don't know if you ever, if you if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. The, a, oh, yeah. A very serious, even if it's about, um, you know, something not so terrible, uh, you know, any kind of academic writing a lot of times is, you know, colorless or, you know, I don't know if you think that in academics that, no, ca- totally that can be true. lost. No, it's not totally uh...
0: true. There is, there, is, there is a lack of warmth. And again, it is difficult to put your finger on exactly what does it. If you were to look at a paragraph, if you were to look at two paragraphs of writing, and you say, "Well, which of these is warmer and which is colder?" That's a weird question to ask, actually, because like you know, you know, the words don't have temperatures. Uh, but there is a thing where I don't know if you describe it as distance or if you describe it. I, I, like the way, but what I feel sometimes generates a kind of warmth, which is something that we try and eject into our writing, is uh, if the writer tries to let the reader into their thinking. Right. And one of the reasons that academic writing feels so cold and distant and inaccessible is because people are trying to, the people who write are trying to convince you that they know what they're talking about which involves like showing you their conclusions rather than letting you into their thinking process so what I do is I try and let people into my thinking process a lot um, I try I'm willing to sound dumb in my writing that was an important really important thing for me is to is to go like I, I don't I, here's where I, I start not knowing anything about this. Well, this is, I'm, I'm going to go find out about this, and this is how I found out about it, right. and, um, I, and and if you do that, if you, you, you end up being closer with your reader than uh, someone who has already gone and done the thinking off in their brain, and now they're just coming back and giving you a presentation. Exactly,
1: yeah. Even the, uh, this is an article I like a lot, but it's uh, I think it's called People Pretending It Isn't There, and it's about nuclear mm. weapons one of the central thrusts is that there is this back to what i was saying at the very start the interesting time to be doing what you're doing and to just interesting time in general uh weird time where <laughs> there is this like strange looming thing that everyone knows about but everyone also yeah totally does not feel the reality of um and then relating that to how it's still a colorful piece and how you still uh, there's you're not. It's not doom and gloom in the same way. I, I mean, kind of yeah. just in the same way that people aren't people aren't giving <laughs> up despite this thing that is essentially right. a dead end.
0: Uh, yeah. So I think my article is probably one of the more depressing articles on nuclear war that has been written recently. <laughs> but I also think, weirdly enough, it's also a, a kind of a helpful article because what I say in it is. Well, the whole reason I think we should talk about this is that I'd really like it not to happen. Um, And I think it's important if we're actually going to deal with this problem to confront it head on. Um, But that's another article where I am willing to adopt the... to to consider the fact that I am possibly an idiot and let people into my thinking process because that whole thing is so... I'm looking at the facts here, and it seems to me like we should be talking about this, but we're not. Am I just stupid? Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm open to the possibility that I am just stupid, but I'm trying to, so to walk that through in the article and go, no, guys, I don't think I am. I think yeah. we need to
1: talk yeah, about that. <laughs> part of the problem in, like, exp- you're, you're trying to articulate go into the depths of articulating things like that is it is really just a blank wall kind of like a dead end i mean no one i mean i notice in myself i don't uh definitely don't think it's going really think like and you know it's it going to happen or is yeah. it even possible um no. but it's i think the message there of or your attitude i guess uh, when it comes to this is a one of those issues that or one of these consciousnesses that you're, I don't know how much you take part of it. How much are you, Did was writing that an exercise in making yourself feel more concerned?
0: Yeah. And, um, well, writing is often for me an exercise in um, uh, trying to figure out what I think. You know, it's so strange because I come across often as very confident in my writing, but I'm not actually a very confident person. And the writing is the process of becoming confident. So the the end result always looks really, really sudden, but that's because by that point, by the point of publication, I've gone through and taken out all the parts that I don't think I, I stand by, and um, uh, so, yeah, writing is a process of figuring out what I think uh, rather than just telling people what I think, um, and, um, I, I, yeah, so, you know, oh, jeez. You know, uh, yeah, and so it, it, it was for me a way of, of going of, of of thinking about what I think about and going. Well, wh- do I just not pay it? Am I, do I think mutually assured destruction works? Do I think how much do I think I should be spending time on this? Um, so, you know, try and read some of the literature. I was trying to think about what it would actually mean in practice and whether I can conceive of that, the degree to which I can conceive of that, Mm -hmm. Um, and... And wondering how other people think about it as well, you know, trying to trying to you know cliche begin a conversation, trying to begin a conversation with people, but so that other people can tell. There's often a thing where the moment you say something, everyone goes, mm-hmm. "Hey, yeah, that's what I've been thinking too," but I just didn't say it, and so you have to be the first one to right, right. Uh, break the silence.
1: I think that there's a quality of that in uh, in a lot of the in a lot of current affairs writing, this feeling of following my thoughts as they're moving, like, you know, addressing questions as they pop up uh, in my own head, kinda of anticipating this kind of movement, anticipation. It's not, uh, it's like you are saying, it's not just a kind of stale presentation of of conclusions. I'll uh, finish uh, just with, uh, this May my sound, I'm trying to think of a way to phrase it that's not too grand or lofty or, or you know, j- vague or something, but uh, you, <laughs> you, you, you say that you're... Um, going back to that you know the nuclear weapons article all this uh, we're talking about trump and and all these these kind of flaws and like misconceptions in in uh people's thinking and and media you but you still think you're generally optimistic how how strange or uniquely strange of a time do we live in and why do you feel uh this is not me trying to prove you wrong but why do you feel optimistic oh
0: uh, okay. Yeah. No. So first, uh, yeah, it's fine. I have a book coming out called "Interesting Times," uh, which is uh, uh, it's just a compilation of essays. And um, uh, the whole point being, yeah, I do think it's a very unique time. Um, I do. Uh, uh, it, 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 yeah, I mean, it's weird, It's a weird time for me because I am benefiting from the the horror unfolding uh, in in politics. Right. Our subscriptions shot up after the election, and so did a lot of left media outlets. Uh, so we are actually uh, benefiting from that. Um, uh, but that shows that it is a time of unique uncertainty, uh, both in what's going to happen in the world and in uh, what the future of media is going to be. People um, don't trust. The confidence in media has plummeted. Um, people don't like the existing news sources. Um, so uh, over oh, the other thing was uh, um, pessimism and optimism. Uh, here's, here's, it's kind of a Pascal's wager type thing. It's, um, it, it's the fact that I have an article called Pessimism is Suicide, <laughs> which is that you, you know, what the old expression is um, uh, pessimism of the intellect, optimism of the will. And I think that is a really powerful, uh, useful expression, because it captures kind of what you should be, like where, where you should be realistic in, on an intellectual level. But in terms of what... But you have to have hope, because even though it's cliche, um, without that, like, what are you doing, right? What keeps you moving forward if it's not, if it's not a belief that things can be better? You might be wrong, um, but you, you just have to keep going, or else you, you, there's no alternative, right? That's why I said pessimism is suicide, right? If you, if you embrace the idea that things are only going to actually get worse, then that's a self-fulfilling prophecy because you're not going to try to make them better. Um, The the truth is that what I really embrace is um, uncertainty, where it's like, well, none of us knows what the future is going to be. That's the one thing that we should be certain of, is that that we can't be certain of anything. And if we can't be certain of anything, then we absolutely have to do everything in our power uh, to try and build the world we'd like to see. Um, because we don't know. Uh, I mean, we might be very pessimistic, but we can't allow that to govern our actions because we could be wrong because we're not infallible.
1: You were uh, acknowledging the cliche, perhaps, like you know, the potential cliche of that. But even your article in, I think it was defending the use of platitudes and cliches. There's that <laughs> life, there's that life-affirming, resuscitative quality to a lot of this stuff where it's true. Yeah, it's it's you know it's easy to like live in a maybe kind of this this mist of like not not just uncertainty of course about the future, but uh, you know uncertainty about this, this like sincerity. Who means what, and what uh, you know what should you be sincere about? Especially now, I think, especially yeah, with, uh, yeah,
0: you know, you know cliches. That's the thing. Uh, the platitude is interesting. Uh, you mentioned that because right because cliches make for bad writing, but they often make for good life advice. Um, it's often true. Um, you know, the, the golden rule I cite in that, you know, treat others as you'd like to be treated. That's incredibly old and it's very simple, but, you know, it's, it's also incredibly important.